Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. This morning, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 as we continue our series in the book of Nehemiah. And so we're going to make our way through the entirety of Nehemiah um, this year. But at the same time, in this particular time period, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3 in its entirety. And I'm going to read into your hearing Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 is kind of near the middle of your Bible if you're unfamiliar Feel free to go ahead and look at the table of contents to find Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, and if you just got your phone with you, just Google Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1, uh, one through 5. As you're turning there, I do um, also want to say we got a lot going on uh, this, uh, the next couple of weeks, but uh, it, it's getting ready to be uh, the Lenten season. And uh, we're a non-denominational church, and yet uh, throughout the history of the church itself, uh, there have been people who practiced their preparation for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're planning uh, a small Lent service at our, at our office together, um, and if you want to participate in that with us, I, I would encourage you to reach out to me. There's some resources and things that... I'm going to be practicing and, uh, and would invite you in to practice them with me as well. And so when you've got Nehemiah chapter 3, would you do me a favor and just shout, I got it. And if you're able, would you rest on your feet as we read the scriptures together? Reads this way. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They cons consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachar, the son of Imri built, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. The very words of Scripture. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and as you traverse through the scriptures, what you see at the end uh, of the Bible is that the Bible ends in a city. Uh, it, it begins with the presence of God dwelling with humanity, uh, and it ends with the presence of God dwelling with humanity. But, but in between the garden and the city, there. Uh, 
there is this fracturing of that connection between the presence of God and the presence of humanity. And what takes place in between uh, is a mission of, of restoration, of, uh, of a renewal, if you will, that God is accomplishing through his people. Enter in the city of Jerusalem, a sacrificial system had been instituted as a kind of placeholder of a mediation between God and humanity, a mediation that was to come. It, it pointed forward and the city and the temple itself were a picture of God's presence with humanity. Interestingly enough, when Jesus uh, begins his Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he says these words. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Isaiah 58 verse 12, as, uh, as the Old Testament prophet is pointing forward to a time speaking of, uh, of God's people, uh, and looking forward to this time that Jesus is talking about. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Isaiah, uh, and the word should come up on the screen, says this. It says, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Interesting, you see the language of repairing and rebuilding and renewing and city. And then the Apostle Paul picks up the pen in the New Testament and, uh, and speaks specifically of the people of God and their citizenship. And, uh, and he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so I, I wonder if you're seeing it by now that there's this language of repair and rebuilding and a city and a dwelling place and a temple that uh, that isn't necessarily that of an actual physical building. Um, and so it begs the question, what, what, exactly, what exactly is the holy temple? Uh, who's the city? Who are the builders? Who are the repairers of the breach? What is this talking about? Well, it's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about us. We're the builders. We're the repairers of the breach. We're the holy temple being built together. And as we get ready to come to our passage this morning, as the story of Nehemiah unfolds, really it is a, a prequel, if you will, uh, of what is to come. It's a, a prequel, if you will, of uh, what I just talked about. Who are we and what are we here to do? And so, in essence, as we see the building or the repairing of the wall of 
Jerusalem, we watch as uh, there are all types of different people who participate in this rebuilding, in, uh, in this repairing. And uh, it, it really highlights for us what, what I think the, the picture highlights for us are some principles for how we can participate in what God is doing in and through the world. And resoundingly, what lifts itself off of the pages of our passage this morning is that this idea of rebuilding and repairing, it takes everybody. Rebuilding takes everybody. I want to preach from that subject this morning. I want to preach from the subject, rebuilding takes everybody. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. Now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Derek, over the past couple of weeks, has done a fantastic job uh, preaching through Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2. I would encourage you to go back and, uh, and look at those sermons. Uh, and he's done a great job of kind of building the context from where we parachute into our passage this morning. But to give you a little bit of the, of the backdrop from where we have been, in Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, Nehemiah gets the news that, uh, that the city in Jerusalem had been just torn apart. And it actually tells us in chapter 1 and verse 3, this is the news that he receives. It says, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So the context of this particular situation is that the uh, people of Israel have been taken captive into Babylonian captivity. And for, uh, in essence, 70 years, give or take, uh, they have been in captivity in Babylon. Uh, and now Nehemiah hears this news as the king of Babylon's cupbearer. And, and now he wants to do something about it. And uh, he is so uh, distraught by the news that he receives that the Bible says that he just begins to weep. Uh, he begins to cry. And, and it bothers him so much and for so long that he begins to pray and pray and pray for four months. And then all of a sudden, the king sees his face and knows that he's not sick, but then says, what's bothering you? And now Nehemiah sees the opportunity for the thing that he's prayed about, that the, the question that should have and would have never come because a king never asked the cupbearer, what's wrong with you? And now the king asks Nehemiah that question and Nehemiah makes his request. He hears the news and says, I want to go back and I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so, in essence, as he has spent these four months praying and praying and praying, now in chapter 2, what you see is Nehemiah puts his plan together for how he's going to accomplish the task that he believes God has called him to. And now, in our particular passage, 
uh, as we get to chapter 3, he is uh, given a kind of Winston Churchill, if you will, speech uh, to the people of Israel and the surrounding land as he makes his way uh, to Jerusalem and sees the circumstances and the situation that the walls are in. And he speaks to the people in chapter 2 and verse 17, and it says, uh, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And so as we get ready to come to our passage, that's exactly what begins to happen is they begin to build. Uh, and Pastor D said a little bit about this uh, yesterday, but it's interesting that actually in the passage in chapter 2, there are certain people and, and uh, preachers uh, have the tendency to talk about haters probably more than they ought to talk about haters. But it's some haters, Tamara. Uh, in chapter 2. It's some haters of Nehemiah. It's some haters of the fact that the king gave them permission. It's some haters uh, who don't want to supply Nehemiah with the stuff that he needs because they participated in the tearing down of the wall in the first place. There's some haters in the text. And sometimes in life, there are going to be some haters that want to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. And so Nehemiah uh, instead of listening to the people who were talking down to him and didn't want to participate, did not want to help him, gives this speech to the people of Israel. Uh, and then all of a sudden, chapter 3 in verse 1, uh, in our passage this morning, the Bible says that uh, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. Interestingly enough, as you make your way through chapter 3, what you see is that there's all types of different people who are named that participated in the rebuilding and the repairing of the wall. It's interesting, though, that the very first person that, that the Bible says got up there to start rebuilding and repairing the wall was the spiritual leader of the people. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, the, 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 the person who, uh, who just does their own thing. Uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't the person, uh, the, the high priest didn't see uh, the, the work of rebuilding to be uh, something that they were above. Uh, the, the high priest didn't look at the rebuilding and the repairing uh, of that wall and say, you know what, uh, you guys are... Uh, you are experts in rebuilding and repairing. You, you understand tuck pointing and brick work, and uh, you understand how gates uh, fit together. But no, the very first person who got up on that wall to rebuild and repair was the high priest. Now, I think that this highlights something that's incredibly important. I know uh, many of you would say that you are leaders, and even if you're not 
uh, you wouldn't say that you're a leader. The reality uh, is that you are. Maybe you're a leader in your home or you're a leader in your family or you're a manager at your job. And the reality is, regardless of how the world operates and how the world works, that there's something about the one who's the leader who says, I'm not above any of it. I'm not I'm not too good for any of it. I, I can pray and I can preach, but you sure enough going to watch me put a chair away. That's what it takes to be a good spiritual leader is somebody who's willing to serve. Now, I, I remember when I was in seminary, I had moved up here. Uh, I had moved up here um, in 2010. No, 2000, sorry, 2012. I started in seminary. And I needed a job. I, need, I needed a job, and I realized that I could not, uh, I could not sustain uh, living without at least having some kind of income, Jalen, uh, Brandon. And, 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 so, and so one of my friends was working as a janitor uh, at this church down the street from, uh, from, uh, uh, from the school. And so I, I said, man, you know, I, I really could use... I, I really could use the income. Uh, tell me a little bit more uh, about the job. What kind of stuff do you guys do? And he explained to me, basically, it's janitorial service. And so I went up there. I met the guys. And, and so I started, I started working there. And I remember calling my friend Ricky. And I remember thinking, man, I'm 26, 27 years old. And, and I had these big plans, Elizabeth, of being a, a preacher and a minister and I would get called from time to time to come preach on Sunday, and then on Monday I was cleaning out a toilet. And, and I, would, I would be calling my friend Ricky like, this is not what I envisioned for myself, right? This, this, is, not, this is not what I had in, uh, in my plans. And he would say, Steve, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. And then I'd go back, and I'd be cleaning toilets, and I'd be cleaning classrooms, and I'd be wiping up dirty diapers that babies had taken off and and smeared across the table. And I'd call my friend Ricky, and I'd say, man, I don't know what I'm doing. This is not what I envisioned for myself. And he would say, Steve, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And I remember, I never forget this. There, there was this lady who was sort of odd that was always doing stuff at, at the church. Uh, and, and she comes running out the bathroom. And uh, I'm like, what happened? What, what, what happened? Uh, and, and she said, I can't get the toilet to flush. I can't get the toilet to flush. And I said, well, what happened to the toilet? And I, she said, well, I tried to put the spaghetti down the toilet. And for, for some reason, it, it wouldn't go down the toilet. This lady had taken a whole, like, Costco pan of spaghetti and tried to put it all down the toilet. And I, I thought to myself, I, one, I, at first I was like, I got to help you. <laughs> the one who thought it was a good idea to put a pan of spaghetti down the toilet. I got to help you. And so I go, I don't know, what, what do you do with, with it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What do you, what do, you, what do, you do? What do you? What do you do? I, I don't even know. I don't even remember what I did, but I was, this is, we got, a, I got t- trash bags out. We got, it's a whole lot of stuff going on in order to get a giant pan of spaghetti out the toilet. You, you understand what I'm saying? 
And, and I get on the phone, and, and, and I tell my friend Ricky, I say, you'll never guess what happened to me today. I had to clean a pan of spaghetti out the toilet. And he said to me, Mama Roper, he said, Steve, that's the best thing that ever happened to you. And so there's something, you know, I, I would have I, I, I never envisioned that for myself. I would have never, if I'm being honest, I, I would have never asked for that for myself. And yet there's something in me that now says, Steve, you're not bigger or better than anything. And I, I, we got some Moody students, we got some, uh, some seminary students, we got some small group leaders. It's really, it's really easy to want the microphone. It's really hard to clean the toilets. But there's something that happens in your soul when you clean the toilet. And so the text says that rebuilding, if, if I could lift a principle, rebuilding requires leaders who are willing to serve. So the high priest gets up and he begins to rebuild and, uh, and the priests get up and they begin to, to rebuild. And, uh, and yet the second thing I would say in, in the particular passage that we're in is that rebuilding starts with putting God first. Rebuilding starts with putting God first. Verse 1 says they built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and set its doors. So here's the thing. The sheep gate was the closest gate to the temple. And many people believe that the sheep gate was the means through which the sheep would come in and be sacrificed for worship to God. And so the first thing that the people do is... There's a whole lot of stuff that has to happen, right? There's an there's a, there's a economy has to be rebuilt. The, the merchants got to come back. The, uh, the, the uh, jobs got to be re-enlisted. People got to build back their homes. Money needs to be made. The shops need to get back together. The public transportation uh, needs to uh, get reinstated. It, it, you know, everybody's out here working, uh, working on this uh, this. Uh, this gate, it would be nice as I'm working on this gate, maybe I'll find somebody who I can marry on this gate while we're working and while we're doing this. There's all these things that need to happen in the people's lives and the city's lives in order for them to get back into a good place. And so they could have said, let's, let's start over here. That's going to stir the economy the right way. Let, let's start... Let's start over here. That, that way we can get the shops back and we can build our homes back. Let's start with the markets so that now we can, we can begin to bring in the, the farmer's goods and we can begin to sell and buy goods and people can uh, make their own meals at, at home. But, but they don't start that way. The high priests get up there and they say, we've got to start with God. It's a whole lot of stuff uh, that, that's important in life. There's, 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 a, whole, uh, there's a whole lot of 
uh, things that you need to accomplish in your own life. You need a job. You need money. You need uh, a roof over your head. You need food on your table. Uh, you have an interest, a romantic interest in someone else. Uh, and, and yet the reality of the truth of life is that if you don't put God first, then everything else ain't that important. If you don't put God first, everything else might not work out the way that you want it to. If you don't put God first, you might find yourself in a place you never wanted to be. So the people, the people say, we, we've got we've to put God first. And there's a whole lot of stuff. There, there, there's a number. You got life coaches and internet influencers and lifestyle ambassadors and all these different things. I, I talk to people. Uh, I, I'm really curious because I'm not, it, it's no shade. I, I sometimes say uh, to Pastor Derek, you, I think to myself, man, you should be a life coach. Like you, you could really, you could help people get their finances in order. You could help them like understand like good parenting principles like, like uh, how to uh, lead a household, you, you, you have, uh, he's kind of a jack of all trades. He has, he has uh, skills in administration, but then he also can do other things in, in counseling. I said, man, you're, you, you, you should be a life coach. And I talked to people, and I, I met a, a young lady at the, at the coffee shop. She's like, man, I, I'm really interested, um, I'm really interested in, in, in being a, a life coach, uh, and, and sometimes we, we go to the internet and, and we look uh, at the, the lifestyle influencers and you're like, man, if I could get my life like theirs, then man, that, that would be really, really cool. That would be really, really great. And, and they got all this information to download on you for your life to be better. And, and in many instances, what I'm starting to realize is that some of that stuff is really helpful. Some of that, oh, oh that, that's good. There's some good stuff out of that. But guess what? If God ain't first, it don't matter how helpful it is. If, if God ain't first place, it don't matter. And, and, and the reality of what has happened over the course of this pandemic is that there's a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of people and a whole lot of influence and influencers who have taken the place of God being first place in our lives. And, and, and for some of us, that, that means I'm, I'm a Christian. I still do my, my quiet time. I still, I still got my, my own thing going. Uh, and yet what, what we miss out on in the formation of our souls in the community of interacting with other followers of Jesus. I was speaking to my therapist a couple of months ago, and I was really interested in hearing what, what he had to say because he, he said, Steve, what you're doing is really important. I said, I said man, that's, you really feel that way? Because sometimes, you know, I talk to people and I'm, I'm trying to invest, and, and sometimes I'm like, is this helping anyone? And, uh, and he says, Steve, no, no, you have to understand that during the pandemic, everybody lost all of their tertiary relationships. So you have your primary relationships. Maybe you have your, your mom or you have your spouse or you have your brothers and sisters. Um, and even over the course of that, people lost spouses and people lost sisters. And, uh, and, and what was missing 
in your own mental and emotional and spiritual health are those secondary relationships. And he said, Steve, going to church is helpful for your mental health. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, matter of fact, gathering together to sing is helpful for your mental health. I said, really? He said, yes. And, 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 and so I, I'm, I'm just imagining, I don't know if you were like me, but singing is not the first thing that I think about doing when I'm sitting on my couch watching a worship service, right? It's just, it's just not. I know, I know there's some singers that probably y'all sing all, I sing in the shower because the acoustics, it feel, and then I think, AJ, I think that I, I can catch a tune and then I know that I miss it. And I, when I know that I miss it, I don't know how to get it back. So then I'm like, Damon, I need you to help me. And he's, you know how to sing. You know how to sing. And I'm like, no, nah, bro, this is, not, this is art, man. You need to help. I need some principles. Anyways. But what, what, what is true and what is real is that there's something about, and you might not, it might, you might not even notice it. It might not be the thing that you're like, you know, nothing changed about me today. I went to church, but, you know, that was, that was okay. But there's something in your soul and the rhythm in your soul of singing with other people saying, I believe this. Uh, my, my, my boy Ricky used to say that they're, they're coming to see uh, if, if you still believe it. And, and there's something that happens in us when we gather together with people that say, we still believe it. Yeah, we do. We, we, still, we still believe it. And so it, rebuilding, really, really rebuilding, it requires spiritual leaders who will serve. It, it, requires, it, it requires putting God first. But then the text begins to just name off all these different people. So-and-so helped rebuild. So-and-so helped repair. So-and-so helped. Son of so-and-so helped. I, I had trouble pronouncing the name. Rebuilding takes everybody. The first folks are the priests. And then the pastor, interestingly enough, the pastor says, uh, and next to him, the men of Jericho built. No title. No, no uh, lineage connection, just where they're from. Next to the high priest, the people of Jericho built. The, the people without training, they built. The, the, people, uh, the people without expertise, they, they built. The, the, the people who, uh, who spend their nine to five in a cubicle, they, they came out and they, and they built. And uh, the, the, the people who, uh, who spend their, their, their time on a laptop uh, trying to manage phone calls and, uh, and, and emails, they, they came out and they, and they built. And, and, and then you see when, when, the high, when the great high priests and just the people of Jericho, when they came to build, it took 52 days to repair the entirety of the wall. And then if you drop down to verse 8, it says... The goldsmiths and perfumers rebuilt. So it's not like they called out the construction workers. You know what I'm saying? 
It, it, it's not like there's a general contractor out here, and I'm sure there was one because, you know, it might not have gone. So I, I don't know, Nehemiah might have some expertise in general contracting. But, uh, but the perfume, what are perfumers going to do to build a wall? The goldsmiths come. They're, uh, they're in essence, everybody has come out. There are people who come from specific uh, industries with expertise in specific industries. There are people uh, who are no names. There, there uh, women are, are represented. There, there are men and women, and 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 even it talks about daughters and children came out to build the wall. Perfumers, and I'm, I'm trying to think like what what that job would be. I'm like retail. What's the perfume shop that they have at, at, in the mall? What? What is that store? Oh, I, I, I try to avoid Sephora, <laughs> Bethany. It does, but they got a lot of other expensive stuff in there. You go in there with your wife, you come out a little, your pockets be a little light after that. <laughs> You're right, Bethany. I just don't go into, I don't go into Sephora very often. But yeah, just regular everyday people, people that work in retail came out to build the wall. Everybody was represented who came out to build the wall. And the interesting thing, I think, is that this lines up very specifically with how the New Testament talks about how God is going to build his church. And, and the thing about it, we, sometimes we, we, we see uh, sometimes... Because this language is representative of a people and uh, you can't put it with like the uh, within a building and, and, and there's kind of like this. It's 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 we meet in a building, but the church is not a building and and, and, and stuff like that. It's hard for us to, to put our arms around what the New Testament is talking about. And and yet the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four, it says uh, it says and the words will come up on the screen. It talks about the gifts that God has given to everybody, not just to the to the preachers or the speakers, not just to the pastors or the shepherds. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Eleven through twelve of Ephesians four. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. First Corinthians chapter 12 uses this metaphor of the body of Christ being built up and being a part of an actual human body. And it says, will one part say to the other part, I don't need you? Will, will one part say to the other part, you got this. You can do it by yourself. Shall, shall the hand uh, and the other hand and, uh, and the neck and, and the head uh, say to the right foot, Hey, you know what? You stay at home. We don't, we don't really, we don't need a right foot. What's the, what's the point of what Paul is saying? It's say, he's saying 
that without one part of the body, the body doesn't work right. Without one part of the body, the body can't function to its full possibility. And regardless of what we see as important or unimportant or regardless of whether or not we have that negative self-talk in our minds that says, God doesn't want to use me, I don't, I don't have any gifts. And the reality is, in this room, there is represented every gift of the Spirit of God. One, one of the things that I think about when it comes to discipleship, and, and, and this is, I, I love, I, I came up and came to faith in Christ through Campus Crusade for Christ. But one of the distinctions of Campus Crusade for Christ is that all the, the gifts of the Spirit are not represented in Campus Crusade for Christ. You know where they're all represented? In the church. And that is what God has given to all of us to build one another up together. And so there are those of you, I know you have expertise in outreach and you have expertise. You know what? I think uh, of uh, Troy and Lynette. Troy's a tattoo artist, right? And he's, he's great at art, but Troy's out there working that coffee table, right? And loves it, right? And, 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 and Jalen Lomax loves to serve in, in the children's ministry, right? There's something, there's something about it that, that, that gives joy. And, and the reality is, is that God has placed all of those different things in you and me. And I can't see God the way that I'm intended to see God if you hold back your gift. And not only... And, and, and that... That's one reason why I think we don't jump in and, and, and start to build together. But, but another reason why we don't jump in and, and build together is because we don't know what we're good at. Guess what? When you try stuff, you find out what you're good at. Guess what? You may fail. And guess what? It was good for your soul that you served. Guess what? You didn't come into church and say, what, Pastor, what, what words you got for me today? And go home and not participate. Because you participated, God was doing something in your soul that helped the rest of the body of Christ. And, you know, I could name off uh, tons and tons of people, Melody and uh, the whole crew, um, so many different people that, that jump in and, and do uh, an incredibly, incredible job uh, for our church. And yet at the same time, the question that I have is, what if we can't be the repairers of the breach? Because there's a whole group of people who say, I'm just going to sit in the tertiary sideline. What if... God is renewing and restoring all things through the church and we can't be who we were intended to be and we can't see flashes of that renewal and, and, and flashes of that restoration because there's a whole group of Christians who say you got that. Because there's a whole group of Christians who are more in line with American consumerism 
than they are with the New Testament church. Look at verse 5 with me. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. All these, all these, all these different things happening. All these, all these uh, people jumping in. All these, all these things that are that are going on. Uh, and 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 my fear, uh, my fear is that uh, maybe I, I'm imagining that that it's not like the the Tekoite nobles said uh, to the rest of the group, "We're too proud. We won't stoop to do that work." But maybe the text just captures what they said in their heart. And so sometimes we, 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 we come, come in the church, and, and, and this is where I think that, that, that and I find myself, I can, I can find myself in this because this is the way that the world operates. We can, you know, I got my gym membership, Mama Roper, and I expect when I, when I buzz in, they got my buzz together, and I get one free personal training uh, me, uh, meeting uh, uh, every couple of months, and, uh, and, and they got the, the water fountain in, in the right area where I want the water fountain to be, and uh, they've got towel service, and they got the double, they got, instead of, instead of the one when you go to the shower, they got, they got, uh, they got two shower heads, and, and they got towels ready, uh, ready for you to have as many towels as you like. You come out of that, that shower, you can have four towels. That's what I love. They got four towels, and guess what? Ain't nobody got, I don't got to wash them and fold them and put them back. That's, what I, that's something I love. And, and so sometimes I think uh, when, we come, when we come to church, we, we, we look at it as like this kind of gym membership, right? And, and we walk in, oh, cool, they got a new setup today. Cool. They got the great Lauren's. Okay, Lauren, she always has a smile on her face. That's nice. That's really nice. Oh, DeMond got the team. They jumping. They, they got it bouncing in here. That's, that's cool. Oh, Pastor Derek ain't here. That, I mean, I heard Pastor Steve a couple times, you know. He all right. He all right. I can manage. Oh, that's a, they put the coffee table out there. That's a, that's a, nice, that's a nice extra. That y'all finally did that. Like, I, I had to go to Dunkin' Donuts before I came. Whenever I came, I had to stop at that Starbucks, and it was like seven minutes, and they didn't, ha they didn't have almond milk, and I really wanted almond milk, so I had to go with oat milk, and so I got my oat milk anyways, and I came in. But now y'all got, that's cool, that's cool. Ain't lived nan thing. <laughs> in two years. And, and I think that you might not say it with your words, but you say you got it. Y'all got it. You don't. You don't say. You don't say it out loud, but y'all got it. Maybe we got more in line with the Tekoite nobles than we think we do. And I used to, I used to, this, I'm going to step on some toes here. I'm, I, I knew this text was, I, I was like, this is heavy handed and I don't, I don't, I got to figure out how to shepherd through this passage. 
But our, th- there are times when we, we did this, uh, we did this thing when I was pastor and Sharon knows about this, but we did this thing at the, at the old church that I was at. And, um, and there, I, I did not know what people gave, right? I did, I did not know anything about what people gave, but they would just give us a, a list of people and, and ask us as, as shepherds to, uh, to if, if they were members of the church, are you participating in what we're doing? We're, we're launching a couple of locations at the time. We, we're starting some churches, and, um, and they were asking whether or not uh, certain people uh, gave or not. And I didn't, I didn't know how much anybody gave. I just knew who was a member and who had not given anything, right? And so I, I went to have this conversation. Uh, with, I'm like, how is he on the list? How, like, we've been boys for two years, he comes and does all the all the whole singles ministry. We are this. We are, what's up, bro? What man? What he's he's at everything, right? He's at everything. And, and sometimes I think that we do that with our finances too. We come in and we say, "Y'all got it? Make a hundred thousand dollars. Get put a tip in the in the offering." Y'all, that's ghetto. Do we have enough relational capital to say, that's, y'all, that's, that's ghetto. You can't receive from a place spiritually so invested, two years in the game, and not participate. And, and I'm, I'm not even saying, that, that's not good for your soul. That's not good for you spiritually. Sometimes I think we can be like the Tekoite Noble. We would never say it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody who lost their job. I'm not talking about anybody who, you know, you're in between a situation. I'm talking about you've been had a good job and been hanging out for a year and a half. And, and put, your, put your little uh, Starbucks money in the, in the offering. Y'all, that's ghetto. And, and I got to say, I, I, really, I really feel this way because I'm like, man, there's a lot of churches that are able to do a lot of incredible things. And sometimes I look at a church led by African-American men, and I'm like, there's so much that we could do, but we can't. And I want to be like, man, this, this is it. This is the thing. This is the thing. Like, this is, this is a part of being the repairer of the breach. Here's my Starbucks budget for the month. Sometimes I think we got more in line with the Tekoite nobles. We still, I'm... I'm, a, a per, I'm the people of God. I'm, I'm a follower. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb. But they would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, y'all take your seatbelt off. I'm done. <laughs> Verses 3 and 4 says the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. 
They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Now watch this. There are certain things that had to be built. There are certain things that had to be repaired. There are certain things that had to start from scratch. There are certain things that just need to be restored. And as, as we're coming out of this pandemic and, and coming back to church and, 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 and same thing, the Tekoite Noble thing, uh, th- there are certain things that an eight-year-old church that, that meets in a ballroom don't have. I don't got a full-time counselor on staff. We, we don't got, uh, we, there, there are certain things that, 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 need, to be, that need to be built. Um, and, 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 and actually, that's one of the cool things, I think, about a church in the particular season of life that, that we're in is that, like, yo, come help us build it, right? And, and, and sometimes we, we could, and, and, and there are certain needs in certain seasons of life that like, man, other churches that have other uh, ministries and, and support systems and stuff like that, that that's, that's great for that and incredible for that, that season uh, for you. And you need to receive those, that, that, those services. But at the same time, instead of the critique, and I'm saying this for, for all of us, I feel like sometimes I, it, it's, it's really interesting to me how many churches our church gets compared to in people's past. I can't, I can't compete with the church that changed the trajectory of your life. We, we can't compete with, with the ministry that reshaped the trajectory of your life. I can't. But I can invite you to come build. I can invite you to come repair. And I say that as someone who has a church that changed the trajectory of my life. And so the invitation is just come. There's certain there's certain ministries, and I love I love, you know I love that Sharon has just taken up the women's ministry and and just say you know we're we're gonna get this jumped off and and going. And guess what? There's probably some headaches along the way, some people that drop the ball in the process, and. But we build it. There's some other things that that need to be need to be in place. I, I was reminded that they didn't have uh, enough people to do premarital counseling. Uh, they didn't have enough time to do premarital counseling for some couples. And I, I'm like, man, I all right, I'm jumping into. I can do premarital counseling. Been married three years. I can tell you what God said about it. There's there's a lot of things that just need to be built. That need to be repaired. And, and my question, uh, my question to all of us, and I, I think is the the thing that I left this passage really ruminating on is what if the stuff that God is talking about in Isaiah 58, repair of the breach, the uh, lifting streets up lifting foundations back up in 
in cities, in different sectors of society in Chicago, what if, what if that doesn't happen solely on the basis of Christians not using their gifts for God's glory and their good? That was the question. That was the question. I said, what if a lot of the stuff that we complain about in society could actually be fixed just because all the Christians came and used their gifts. Wow. I know there, there's some of us in, in, in some of the things that I even talked about. It's, it's probably like, man, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's something that, that it, we could really do and and, and I love one of the uh, significant things about this particular passage um, is, is get, that they consecrated the sheep's gate. But not, not only that they consecrated it, they, it, consecration is a way of saying something is special, but also that it belongs to God. This is special and it belongs. So they anointed the sheep's gate. And I, I love it. I love it. Uh, they anoint the they, they anoint the sheep's gate, and the interesting thing about the sheep's gate, if you look through all the different gates in chapter three, you'll see that there's locks and there's bolts on all the other gates. There's no locks and bolts on the sheep's gate, and it reminded me of what Jesus said in John chapter ten. He he, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. No locks on the doors. Find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The reason why they only had to consecrate the sheep's gate is that if you consecrate one part of the wall, it makes the whole wall pure. Jesus is the gate of the sheep. And the invitation for anybody who's here today is that you can be a part of the rebuilding because the door is always open. It's never locked. We have the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he invites all of us through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, regardless of whatever your background is or what you did last night or yesterday or what, uh, what uh, uh, expertise that you don't have or what your history is or what your background is, he says the door is open. The door is open. You can participate in the building too. And so I want to invite you this morning for those of us who may be on the outside looking in 
to make their way to the sheep gate. And let's rebuild together. Scripture says in Revelation 21 and 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's where we're headed. As we repair, as we rebuild. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. Thank you for your word. God, that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for the ways, God, that it breaks us down and yet builds us back up. Thank you for the ways that our great high priest has served us and how he freely invites us through the sheep gate. Help us, God, to know where we fit in, how to fit in. Give us the courage to try. Not to just fit in, but to, to help the repair, to help the rebuild. Give us willing hearts to participate for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.